Well, good morning again, everybody, and welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue, where every week we gather together to have a discussion on the scriptures and about what's going on in our world. We are talking about homecoming, and it's not a physical homecoming where we go to a physical place, but it's a homecoming of self. How do we find who God has really created us to be? in the midst of trauma, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of a lot of people and a lot of things around us telling us who we are or who we should be, how do we discover who God created us to be? And how do we really, in the midst of it, find ourselves when maybe we've been lost for a while? How do we have a homecoming of self? This morning we are reading a story that is familiar to some and new to others. Um, It comes from Luke 15, 11 to 32. It's the story of the prodigal son. Um, Carol, will you read it for us this morning? Sure. Let's jump into this guy. So then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against you and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have given me even a young you haven't given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I guess I want to open our conversation this morning with a question. We have this image of homecoming that happens in the story that Carol read for us. 
But what does it really mean to come home to God? What are the expectations or maybe even the lack of expectations that happen when we experience God's grace? Mm. You know, I think in the scripture, there's this turning point where he says to himself, even my, my father's slaves eat better than I do. And he makes this decision. I'm going to go back to my father. And he admits to himself that he has sinned and that he's messed up. And then he sets out on this journey and we see him going to meet the father after a turning point has happened within him, which I think is interesting because that's the first step of that homecoming journey is the turning point in his mind. Well, and that's the only way change happens, right? All of us have probably experienced or will experience um, when we have an adult in our lives who is not, let's say, behaving well, right? They're not making the best choices for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you are in the midst of that, one of the things you realize really quickly is, I can tell them all day that this is not the right way to do life right now that it's harming them, that it's harming the people around them, right? That they're really hurting people. But unless they make the decision to change themselves, there is no real or lasting change, right? So I I like that you pointed that out, Carol, because it really is a a turning point inside of himself Mm. that leads him home. We don't see in the scriptures, right? But then he was hanging out with the other hired hands and someone was like, aren't you from the, the guy down the road who's really rich? I bet you're his servants eat better than these, you know, than, mm. and, and he was like, you know what they do? I think I'll go home, right? There was a turning point inside, and I really like that. Yeah, um, we talked about this a little bit uh, before we came up here, but in the Wesleyan tradition, um, there's, we, there's three different types of grace that we talk mm. about, and kind of big words, but um, provenient grace is the grace that comes before. It is the grace that is already there in the very beginning of creation. We didn't have to do anything to deserve that grace. And then there's justifying grace. And that's when we meet God, when we reciprocate and say, wow, there's this grace that God has given freely, and I can choose it. And I think that's the turning point of our character today. He finally has wandered away so far from his father's house and is living a life that's harmful to himself. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not only wandering far away from home, but far away from his own soul, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And he finally feels that moment of justifying grace Mm -hmm. and chooses and Mm -hmm. says, you know what? It's time to go back home. Mm -hmm. I think the parallel here that we see often and, and what I like so much about this story um, is you've got these two sons who both grew up with the father. And yet what we see in the story is neither one of them really understood who the father was. Mm. And you've got the younger son saying, I want my inheritance now, right? And Luke in chapter 12 already said, right, like greed and wealth is, um, you know, a challenge for people. Um, and it's been denounced in Luke's gospel. And then you've got the prodigal son going, I want my inheritance now. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't understand who the father is. So he leaves and he squanders his wealth and he ends up in dissolute living, right? Which we read into that because his brother's like, well, he spent all his money on prostitutes, right? We don't actually know that. 
Um, it's just the brother's assumption, mm-hmm. and he's assuming the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't understand who the father was. And then he has this moment where he understands who the father is, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy that you be called your son. Just treat me like one of your hired hands, right? And even in the midst of that, he still doesn't understand who the father is. He has a glimpse. He knows his father is forgiving, but he doesn't understand the love that his father has for him. But then he does when he comes home. Mm-hmm. But then you have the older brother who has lived with a father his whole life and still doesn't understand who the father is. And you, you've got this, this moment of resentment and frustration where it's like, I've been here the whole time. I've done this the whole time. Everything you've asked, I've done. I, I put it out there like I, I was here. Um, and he has this moment where he does what I think a lot of us try to do, where he tries to distance himself, right? And, and, he, and I love the way that the father brings him back, right? Um, he says, but when this son of yours comes back, mm-hmm. when this son of yours comes back, who has ruined and squandered everything, this son of yours, mm-hmm. and the father says, um, we had to celebrate, because this brother of yours. Mm. And it's this reminder of the connection that the two of them have, right? In the midst of being frustrated, the older son tries to distance himself from his own brother. That's your son. That's not my brother. Mm-hmm. And yet the father says, no, that's your brother. And we have to celebrate because he's come home. And everything I have has always been yours. But we're going to celebrate this moment. And so I think that's that reminder in the midst of everything of grace, but I, I love that these people, these two brothers who were raised by the Father, who spent time with the Father, much like all of us who were raised in church spent time with God, they still didn't get it. And there's this moment of returning home. Mm-hmm. And in finding themselves, they actually find God in a new way. I think that's powerful. I really like uh, the thing you said um, about your that I've been here the whole time. You are worthy. You've always been worthy. Maybe you didn't realize it, but I've always been here waiting for you. Um, And I think we like, there's an illusion that we are separate from God, that we can do something or we can run far enough away where we can um, get away from God's heart. And that is an illusion. There is nothing we can do to separate ourselves from God. And um, I like to think about the new moon, which is happening um, tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Um, I, I often think that God shows us patterns in nature um, and tries to teach us through nature. And so during the new moon, uh, the moon's orbit around the earth moves it between the earth and the sun. So the moon is not illuminated. So it, it looks dark, right? It's there. It's always been there. We just can't see it at that moment, right? It's the same thing. God's grace and love has always been there, but we feel like it, we, we can't see it. So it feels invisible. But it's, God is in the midst of it all, even when we don't recognize it. And one of my favorite verses um, is Psalm 46, and um, it says... Um, it starts out saying God is our refuge and strength, a very present time, uh, very present help in trouble. But in the middle of the verse, it says, 
God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. You know, when, you, when I first read that, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, God's with us. But when you really think about in the midst, God is in the, in the mix of it all. God was there even when he was with the pigs, in the, you know, eating the whatever pigs eat. I don't know what they eat. What is it called? I don't know. Scripture says the pods that the pigs eat, but yeah. pigs will literally eat anything. <laughs> um, Caitlin's uh, grandparents owned and operated a pig farm. They will okay. eat anything. Right. So. And so we like to think, well, God was some high and mighty place when the son was, you know, down eating slop, but God was there with him mm-hmm. the whole time even when he didn't recognize it, even when it felt dark, still there. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really hopeful. Mm-hmm. Well, and two, we just didn't understand. Nobody did, right? As modern readers, we don't understand. The, the hearers of the parable for the first time didn't understand just how deep the love of God is. Um, and you see it in the return home, right? When, when he comes home, he doesn't get his words out. And he doesn't get the chance to do his, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And I get, he gets cut off because the words aren't necessary. Mm-hmm. He's come home. But also we get these, um, these words that say, put the best robe on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. A fatted calf was killed for celebration. But we gloss over, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. In ancient times, if you were putting a ring on somebody's finger... It was a signet ring, which would allow you to do business in the father's name. Hmm. This son who has squandered half of his inheritance, this son who has proven time and time again to be untrustworthy, when he comes home, he's given immediately the power to do business in the father's name. Hmm. Um, and so it's, it's again that reminder that neither of these two brothers Neither do we as modern readers or the people who heard the parable for the first time truly understand the depth of God's love and God's grace. Um, and, it, and it shows up time and time again just in these short verses. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so powerful to remind us what God is like. And I think a lot of time for me, times for me personally when I'm reading the Bible, that is what I'm trying to understand. And I feel like in the context of this homecoming journey, when we are trying to come back to our true selves, understanding this fundamental truth of what God is like is so important. Like Laura was getting at, it's it's not a transaction. The grace was already there. You didn't have to be a certain way. You never did. You never had to be at your prime self for God to be with you. God was with you in the slop. And I think it's helpful when we are on that path of trying to walk back to remember God was there with me then. God is not just going to be with me when I'm at church and my hair is done and makeup's on and everything looks perfect and I've had a really good week and I've done my devotional every single day. That's not just going to be there with me then. God's going to walk with me on my journey home. I think that's really powerful. I think that's the challenge though, right? 
Um, I, I can remember being in high school, and I hope I'm not the only one that did this, <laughs> but they would always be like, you need to dedicate your life to God. You need to give your life to God, right? This is the time. Um, Every Sunday. Yeah, you, you don't want to <laughs> wake up and not give your life to God. Um, and, you know, we were told that the one unforgivable sin, right, all other sins are forgivable. But to give your life to God and then to turn away, that was, that was the unforgivable sin. And so I would do this, right? I would say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. But I'm not going to dedicate my life just yet because I have some living I want to do first, right. right? Not necessarily sinful living, right? But, like, I just don't want to mess up yet. Because I, what I don't want to do, God, is because, you know, you've got this thing and I've been told this thing about the unforgivable. Like, I want to make sure I'm good first. I need to come perfect. Like the, the daily reader of Scripture, the person who can pray without ceasing, the one who's in church every Sunday morning, right? That I, I need to get there first. And then we'll make that connection. But for now, just know, like, I'm on my way. Um, and I hope I'm not the only one that did that. No, I mean, I think that that really tracks, and Laura can probably back me up on this, in, in the denomination that, that I grew up in, I, I grew up in the Baptist church, there were things like dancing, for example, that you were not supposed to do. And I remember thinking those same things and be like, you know, God, I would like to go to like the homecoming dance, so let's just kind of put this whole thing off of me being perfect until after. And I think that that's a normal thing, but again, bringing it back to God being with us in the slop, you know, God is with us when we aren't doing something absolutely perfect. Not to say that going to a homecoming dance is a crime. I'm just saying that, you know, I think that what you're saying, I can really connect with. I feel like so many Christians, we've decided that to get to God, it's like a ladder, like a point system. Mm-hmm. And and you go to a homecoming dance, negative two points. Mm-hmm. You get up at 5.30, read a devotional, plus two points. And that's just not how it works. Right. <laughs> and we keep over and over trying to do that. And God's sitting there waiting for us. Going, I'm, I'm waiting for you to understand my nature. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for you to understand my character. And what I've freely given you. I mean, Jesus Christ went to his disciples and said, follow me, not follow me after you've lived. Mm-hmm. There's no qualifier on the, it was just follow me. Well, and we have these great reminders in scripture that God uses imperfect people, mm-hmm. right? Um, Thank God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, got, Moses killed a man, right? God still said, Go set my people free, mm. right? Um, you have David was a hot mess. Let's yeah, just be David, real. <laughs> I was going to avoid David's story, but, yeah. um, but but over and over again, you got these imperfect people who are already following God, mm-hmm. already doing what God asked them to do, mm-hmm. and so we have these reminders that we don't have to be perfect when we come to God. Instead, what God is asking us simply to do is, in the midst of life, in the midst of everything that's going on. Just remember to come home. Yeah. Just remember that I'm here. Mm -hmm. Just remember that when you are hurt and you are suffering and when you feel furthest from me, I'm right here. Um, And I think that's the challenge, right? We who are, you know, some of us who are raised in the church, some of us who have been harmed by church, um, some of us who have never come to church because we met Christians and said, you know what? Yeah, it was uh, what was it? Brian McLaurin, I think, who wrote a book um, years and years and years ago, right? That said they like Jesus but not the church, Mm. because it was the folks in the church who seemed farthest from Jesus, right? 
And the, the challenge that we have, I think, always is for those of us who grew up in church, who have spent and dedicated our lives, we often have the same response as the elder brother when we think about the love of God and the grace of God. Because somehow in our mind we think, okay, well, I've now spent, you know, a good portion of my life, there's 35 years of following God, right? And surely this person who like left or who came in late, like they don't get the same thing I get, right? Sure. Because the, that doesn't seem like justice to us. Right, because right? they've been accumulating points the entire time. Yeah. Right. Lots of points. Right, like in, at streets of heaven, right, if they're paid with gold and silver and bronze, right, if I followed God my whole life, I get to be on the gold streets, sure. right? And if there's a platinum, then surely, right, I get to be, I mean, the Bible doesn't say platinum, but like if there's streets of gold, like, right, it doesn't work that way. Um, there's a, I watched this lady on a podcast this week, and one thing that she said was, she said, you know, my, my grandmother used to say, um, some of us get to heaven still smelling like smoke. Um, and I, I loved the imagery of that in my head, um, because some of us get to heaven still smelling like smoke. We, we get there despite sometimes all of our best efforts. And yet through the grace of God, we are reminded that all are welcome in the same way. And that challenges us because we really do, right? You know, it's like uh, there's a piece. I had a student one time who said, okay, like if I'm on my deathbed and I just say like, God, I love you, forgive me, right? I get into heaven. And I said, well... If you do that with your whole heart, right, and you really mean it, absolutely. And they were like, well, why would I live my whole life for God when I can just go live my life and right before I die make sure I'm good? I was like, I love that you are assuming that you get to live your whole life, right, without any accidents or anything like that. But like the, the point is not to wait till the last minute, sure. right? The point is to be reminded of the depth of God's love. Um, and... Um, Laura, one of the things that you said in our pre-conversation was you started talking about agape love, the depth of that. Will you, will you um, share that with the group this morning? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you hit on the, in the nail on the head. Is that the expression? Yeah. <laughs> that is the expression. <laughs> um, you know, when you said, uh, oh, well, just at the end of my life, I can just, you know, say the, the magic prayer. And again, we're thinking it as a transactional nature. And I think part of that is the way we, the system we live in, of capitalism, um, we give this much money and we get this much back. And unconditional love doesn't work that way. And that's what agape means, is un, the unconditional heart of love. Um, and then it's, we, we look at it, we go, you know what, I don't buy that. That's too easy. There's, it's got, I've got to get something, and I've got to give something. And um, one of the things we talked about, an, ex, an example of agape love, um, instead of uh, a more capitalistic kind of um, exchange, is uh, indigenous wisdom, which teaches us about the gift economy, um, where there's gifts in this life, and they're meant to be given, um, and not just received. Um, and... The example of this is, is a straw, strawberry plant. Is that, mm -hmm. I was like, is it a strawberry tree or a strawberry plant? I'm not sure. It <laughs> Maybe it's a plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that the strawberry is, is they view it as a gift 
that is given by nature, and then the, you give that gift to someone else. And um, the strawberries should be freely sought out for use. Um, and this gift economy, I think, is a really good metaphor for agape love, that this love is given freely, and it's, there's no bartering to it. Um, again, you know, in the midst of um, all of this, we know that um, the guardian, the parent, the father, the mother, however we think of the great creator, um, has created us for love, not for transaction. And, um, yeah. 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 All right, closing thoughts? Yeah, I just, when Laura was talking, I, I thought of something about how it is hard for us to understand God as not transactional because so many times in our human life, in our interaction with other humans, it is transactional. And so it really is hard to step out of that pattern of thinking because not all relationships, but so many of your relationships, that's how it works. And again, I think there's just a real effort that has to be made to go back to this story and to hear what is really being said here to both the younger and older brother. My love has always been yours. And I think that's an important part in our homecoming journeys to remember that God's love has always been ours. It doesn't work on the human system. Hmm. Oh, I was going to... Um... Uh, go back to what Vaughn mentioned about, um, you know, again, we like to think that we're separate from, but we are imprinted with the image of God within us. That means there is divinity within us. That, that's why we go inside. We, that's why we do those spiritual practices. That's why we come back to ourselves um, and try to be the most healthy versions of ourselves we can because that is how we come back to God and that is how we find the nature of Christ and the nature of God. And I think that's something that we often don't talk about in Christian culture because to, to mention that we might have divinity within us, the spark of the divine within us, could be considered heretical. So let's just get away from that. But in, if we're saying we are not separate from God, then we do. God lives within us. And coming back home to ourselves is when we can find that within us. So as we seek homecoming, as we seek to find ourselves, may we be reminded this week of this parable. Um, if you haven't read it, I invite you to read it. Um, if it's been a while, I invite you to revisit it. But there is this reminder in here of the depth of God's love for us, which we call grace. And that reminder that there is nothing that we can do to earn that grace, uh, that it is always available to us. Um, and that so often, whether we have journeyed our whole life with God or whether we are discovering God again for the first time in a long time or discovering God for the first time, that God has always been present with us. Even when we felt alone, even when we felt apart, even when we felt God was absent like a new moon, right? God was present with us the whole time. So may we be reminded that we don't have to be perfect to come to God, that there is no expectation from God of what we need to do before we come to God, mm -hmm. but that we are invited to be in God's presence always. I hope that you have um, 
enjoyed this conversation, we'd love to continue the conversation. And so if you are present with us in the room, we'd love to talk to you afterwards um, and answer any questions you might have. If you're joining us online, shoot us an email. Um, But one of the things that we love to do is to continue the conversation. So may we continue this conversation. May we continue um, to be reminded of the love of God. Um, And I think that reminder always that as we come home to ourselves, we also come home to discovering who God is.